Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. This episode is the first of a four-part bonus ISA series that aims to give you a broader understanding of funds as we head towards the end of the current tax year on the 5th of April and all the tax-free investment perks that come with it. I've teamed up with fellow podcast host and investor, Algie Smith-Maxwell, who's been buying funds professionally for over three decades. Algie's investment podcast includes interviews with various big names in fund management, including Anthony Bolton and Terry Smith, and it is well worth a listen. So today I ask Algie to pass on his pearls of wisdom from his 30 years as a professional fund buyer I ask him to name his biggest investment lessons, his investment golden rules, and what he would tell his younger self with the investment knowledge that he has built up over the years. But to kick off, Algie explains how he became a fund manager. Well, to be honest, I became a fund manager completely by chance. I actually was trying to get a job in sales, and I got turned down for the job in sales. And I got a job as an assistant fund manager at what is now called Henderson Global Investors. And I suddenly realized this was the job for me. Just enormous fun. And I was very, very fortunate. So how did you make that transition then from, you know, wanting to be in sales to becoming a fund manager? Did someone take you under their wing? Yes, they did. They really did, actually. And it's the person who I've worked with for the last 30 years because I worked for a lovely man called John Chatfield Roberts, who's been my business partner throughout my investment career. We worked at Henderson's together, then we went to Lazard's together, and then we spent the last 23 years, 22 years, working at at, at Jupiter together. And it's multi-manager funds that you manage, so you invest in other fund managers. Yes, absolutely. And that's been throughout your career? Throughout our investment careers, we focused on selecting the very best fund managers that we can find in the industry. And they may be geographically based in the UK or in the US or in Europe, but it's basically trying to find the best of the best from any investment management organization that we choose to go and and seek expertise from. And it's basically always been a game of You turn over enough stones, you will find enough gems. You've got to do the hard graft. And doing the hard graft, interviewing fund managers, has always been an absolute privilege. And I still love it today. So you've been researching funds, interviewing fund managers for 30 years now. So what's changed from the beginning of your career, for better or worse? (laughs) So what's changed? We used to deal on the telephone and we used to have faxes. We didn't have the internet. We had very strong relationships with the brokers that we spoke to, but now that they're much more tenuous because regulation means that we we don't interact with each other. You can meet up for a cup of coffee, but we certainly didn't spend a lot of time socializing together like we did in the old days. You could get a deal on one minute before midday because all funds or most funds price at midday. As long as your fax was or your dealing sheet was time date stamped before midday the deal got on these days you need to get the deal on at least an hour before midday it takes a couple of weeks to set up an account to actually start investing in a fund 
it's much, much more difficult. It's a much slower process than it used to be. So we have to plan far further ahead than we did 30 years ago. What else has changed? We used to come into the office five days a week. We used to come in the office. I used to come in the office at weekends because I absolutely just loved the job. And I suppose we found that the fund managers that we interviewed did things differently too. And the most obvious one is I think they saw a lot more companies themselves. The amount of research they did, the exposure they had to companies was, I think, far greater. And now with information needing to make sure that it's distributed publicly in a very fair and even way, it means that companies are very much more careful about what they say and how they express the information they put out in the public domain. And so a lot of fund managers now, I think, are much more reliant upon company news releases, uh, company corporate releases for information. And I think the best fund managers today actually are the ones who have stuck to their knitting and spend a lot of time looking at the annual reports and accounts of companies. That's the nitty gritty. That's the stuff that really makes a difference. And I fear that a lot of young fund managers don't spend enough time looking at reports and accounts. And over the past 30 years, has the funds industry become so much bigger than it was? Today, there's thousands of funds out there. If you're a beginner investor, you can be quite daunted by the huge amount of choice that there is. And also, passive investing is a much bigger thing today than it was 30 years ago. Could you give your thoughts on that as well? Oh, goodness. Yes, that's a very good point, actually, because passive investing really didn't exist in anything like the same degree as, as it does today. So passive investing is a big competitor for active fund managers. And there is a very, very good place in the investment world for passive investing. We've used passive investments in our portfolios over the years. There's a time and a place that it's suited us to use them. There's no right or wrong between using active and passive. But it's very difficult to find outstanding active fund managers. What I think is so important to understand is that the end investor may not realize it, but they're actually an absolute return investor themselves. And that means that they don't like the downdrafts of markets. The key, I think, to giving people a good long-term outcome for their investment is to lose less in the down markets and to keep up as best you can in the bull markets. Don't worry about outperforming in the bull markets because that's, that's a very dangerous thing to do. And so finding fund managers that can give you that reassurance that they will keep up in the good times but outperform in the bad times is absolutely the winning ticket to generating long-term compounded returns for investors. And of course, in your career, you've seen some very significant stock market sell-offs, including the tech bubble, which eventually popped. Yes. And also, of course, the global financial crisis. Yes. And there's been, you know, obviously a couple of other crises as well along the way. What lessons have you learned during those periods? I learned an incredibly important lesson from Richard Timberlake, who actually set up Fidelity Fund Management in London. And the first fund manager he employed was Anthony Bolton, somebody who we invested in for most of his investment career. I think he compounded a return of 19% per annum for 28 years. And what Richard taught me was that you should never anticipate an inflection point in markets. 
But what you can do is you can react to an inflection point. So wait for an inflection point to happen. You normally get about three months having an inflection point happened and markets to have begun to react to it to make the necessary changes in your portfolios that can have a significant impact on the returns for your investors. So for example, an inflection point would have been the US deciding not to go for the second UN resolution back in 2001 and invade Iraq. An inflection point would have been Mervyn King deciding on the 5th of March 2009 that he was going to start printing money. An inflection point would have been, and more recently, the finding of a vaccine for, for COVID. Those are inflection points where market participants have an opportunity to get on the front foot, but don't anticipate them because you can be very, very wrong. And are there any goals and rules that you think investors should set their store by more than others? For instance, you know, investors are often told that diversification is one of the main ways to obviously protect yourself from stock market sell-offs and also make good money in the good years. I mean, there are so many things I've learned. There are so many golden rules that I could share with you today. I'll give you a taste of them. The first one is that volatility, it's your friend, not your foe. Stock markets will, if you look back in history the last 100 years, they're going to fall by you know, about 10% every other year. And every six to eight years, they're going to fall some point 25%. So as an investor, actually the most important organ in the body, and I'm quoting Peter Lynch here, is, is your stomach, not your brain. You know, anyone can be intelligent and make money out of investing in stocks. But have you got the stomach to take the volatility? And a lot of people don't. And for those people, a fund of funds like the one we run is a fantastic investment solution because we take that volatility, that fear away for investors. And I'd say that looking back over time, one of the key things is to have had cash at the right time to put to work when there's volatility. So cash is a really important investment tool. I think. And a lot of people don't run cash as an investment tool. But I think it's important to have cash as an investment tool. Second thing is liquidity. Liquidity is everything. And time and again, you talk about bubbles. When those bubbles burst, there's nothing in them, is it? There's nothing there. And in the tech bubble, I remember when the tech bubble was at its peak, brokers were telling fund managers, you've got to buy this stock. Or Why, said the fund manager? Well, because it's going up. You know, that is terrifying. So liquidity is everything. When you get a systemic shock like the financial crisis, everything has a correlation of one, and it means that everything falls. But the things that aren't real never return. The things that are real, proper companies with proper earnings, proper cash flows, proper free cash flows that they can reinvest in the business, those businesses will bounce back. So take advantage of volatility, Remain in liquid investments, avoid lobster pots, and be really patient as an investor. And if you invest in good quality companies and you're patient, time will bail you out every single time. And is it the fact that, you know, some investors, they panic, they crystallize losses when, you know, stock markets fall. Is that the mistake that you see made all too often? Yes, absolutely. So my experience, I mean, you know, 30, 30, whatever it was, 33 years ago, I was a financial advisor. And I remember, I'm going to get my dates wrong here, but I remember in 1994, 
markets hit the skids and the Fed raised interest rates very significantly. So it's 30 years ago, isn't it? And um, my observation was that investors could take a paper loss of about 15% without disinvesting. When their paper loss from their six-month evaluation went to 20 to 25%, the inexperienced investor ran for the hills and they never came back. They crystallized the loss and therefore they would never again put their money into an investment which was over the long term pretty much guaranteed to ensure that their savings would be protected against the ravages of inflation. And that is a disaster. So what I learned from that is that when you're running money for investors in multi-asset products, you've got to make sure, if you can, that you don't at any point in time lose your investors more than 15 to 20% in a crisis. And then your investors will stay with you. Because, of course, you know, the bigger the loss, the bigger the percentage gain is required to get back to even. You know, if you're down 20%, that requires a gain of 25% to get back to even. And then if you're down 33%, you need a 50% return from that point. Well, even worse, if you're down 50%, you've got to go up 100, haven't you? Which is why it's so important to lose less in the bear markets. So Jupiter Merlin growth, since we launched it over... 20 years ago, would have given investors a return well over four times their money, net of fees. That's with a reasonably low downside volatility. And there are other strategies that would do the same thing or better. But I think that's the best outcome for investors to lose less in the down markets. And finally, what would you tell your younger self today with all the investment knowledge that you've built up over the years? I sort of touched on it, actually. I mean, it's a really good question. I think if I was coming to investing today and I hadn't invested before, but I knew that equities were the thing to go into, and maybe I'd been given a little bit of guidance to understand about inflation. So I've spoken about it before on my podcast, Algie's Investment Podcast. And the rule of 72 is a really important rule. And if you've got inflation running at, say, 5%, you divide five into 72, and that tells you how many years it takes for your money to halve in value. So, you know, 15 years later, your £100,000 actually only got the purchasing value of £50,000. So that's the most important thing to understand as a young person. You've got to save for the long term. The second most important thing to understand as a young person is that the early years are the most important years of all. And I was told the other day, by my financial advisor, that if my daughter, who's 18 years old, put £1,000 a year into her self-invested personal pension for 10 years and then stopped and never put a penny into it for the rest of her life, and my son took out a pension when he was 28 and put £1,000 in a year until he was 65, 10 years later, he would never, assuming that my children are the same age, he would never catch up with the value of my daughter's pension if they both compounded at 7% per annum for the duration. So the early years of compounding returns are so important. That's the other lesson I, I definitely teach myself. But the one that's so tough for young people is the one of being patient. And that is a difficult one to teach. Time in the market is is, of course, so much more important and easier than timing the market. I can't time the market. It took me 20 years to realize I couldn't time the market. I wish the young algae, maybe my son, would learn at 21 that his dad couldn't time the market, so he can't either. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or a review and follow the show in your podcast app. And if you get a chance, tell a friend about it too. You can find links to all things ICES and Taxia End in the episode description. And there are loads of practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interact Investor website at ii.co.uk. I'll be back with the main pod on Thursday before catching up with Algae again next Tuesday. And I'll see you then.